Mariners baseball. My oh my. Good morning and welcome to episode 140 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus in New York, New York. I am Ben Lindbergh and in Long Beach, California, as always, Sam Miller. Hello, Sam. Hi, Ben. We are recording during the daytime for once. Uh, probably you could tell already the difference in, in our daytime voices. Uh, so you'll be hearing from Sam again because we're talking about the Mariners today. And Sam happened to write about the Angels and the Mariners, which are back-to-back days. So Sam again, and then Jeff Baker from the Seattle Times will talk to Pete Barrett after that. Uh Mariners. We Mariners. We talked about the Mariners fairly recently after the Mike Morse trade, and I guess we got into the team a little bit aside from the trade itself. But uh, to go a little deeper into that, I guess, or to revisit it, uh, I wrote somewhat recently about Jack Z and how I felt like maybe he was not getting a fair shake these days or that we had either been too optimistic about him when he first took over and kind of made over the team in his first winter uh, or too pessimistic now and that maybe the truth about him was actually somewhere in the middle the whole time and he wasn't the greatest general manager ever at, at that time when he kind of turned around the team in one winter and maybe is not a terrible general manager now even though the team has not made much obvious on-field progress since then. Uh, so where do you stand on that? How how responsible do you hold Jack Z for the Mariners' lack of progress at the major league level in the past few years? It's hard to know how much to, uh, to blame him um, and how much is sort of uh, structural stuff that is out of his control. It seems like the maybe the biggest... Um, and perhaps fairest criticism of him lately is that he hasn't really been able to uh, execute the plan that he has wanted to. In 2009 uh, and 2008, you could tell that that they had a plan. That plan was to uh, suck up low um, low cost defensive specialists um, and uh, really put together a team that could uh, suppress offense at a low cost and. Um, they did it really well. Um, the trade that got them uh, Franklin Gutierrez is, looking back at it, it looks like a, a pretty um, savvy and awesome move. Uh, he was able to get um, Cliff Lee in a big trade. He was able to get uh, Sean Figgins as a fairly large free agent signing. And um, there were smaller moves like getting Brendan Ryan and Jack Wilson where you could just sort of see that uh, that they had a plan and they were able to take the steps, the, um, you know, some of them big steps, some of them little steps to really execute it. Um, you sense, and again, we're not there, so um, they might be like kind of laughing at this entire conversation hearing it, but I mean, you, you sense in all the evidence is that the plan has changed, that, 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 uh, that those teams for whatever reason failed pretty, pretty miserably um, and that now they're going in a direction that involves a bit more balance, a bit more offense, uh, not quite going to such an extreme um, type of play. And so in order to do that, they need hitters. 
and they've really had a hard time getting hitters. Um, you saw it last offseason when it seemed that they had money to spend and yet couldn't get uh, you know, past sort of like the they, they could be like one of the six teams pursuing a free agent, but they were never the, the last or even really the second to last pursuing a free agent. Uh, and then this year, they uh, put some effort into Josh Hamilton. They put some effort into Mike Napoli, and neither one showed, well, it seems from, from where we are that neither one showed a whole lot of interest in actually going there. Um, they didn't give the biggest offer to Hamilton. Um, and so... Uh, it's always nice to see a GM with a plan, um, but right now he doesn't seem like necessarily the type who's able to um, to make those moves. So before we hit record, we were just looking at the team projections from Pakoda for the Mariners, and we were both surprised to see that they are actually projected for a, a pretty decent offensive performance. Not when you look at the the raw slash stats which are still pretty ugly 305 on base 382 slugging and of course this is not accounting for any differences in in the park uh or how the park plays this year with the fences being moved in but all of that adds up to a projected 262 true average which would be very slightly above league average uh and that would be very different from all of the mariners teams i guess that we've seen uh, in the last few years, do you think that that is overly optimistic, or do you see uh, some of the players that Pagoda kind of projects to see coming around actually possibly doing that? Well, I think, um, gosh, I have a yes and a no for that. I think I haven't looked uh, super in depth at it, but um, I think that there might be a, a bit of trouble getting an accurate park factor on this club after last year. Um, the the difference between their home and road stats was so extreme. I mean, it was really unbelievable. Everybody should go and look at them. It's hysterical and incredible. And the park didn't change between 2011 and 2012. Um, and so you have to kind of decide whether you think that that was a little bit of statistical noise where they happened to have a bunch of good seasons, a good you know, good splits on the road, and a bunch of bad splits at home, and those created the impression of a more extreme park than it actually is, or whether that is actually factual, and whether there is some sort of factor at play, like weather or something that um, made it true. So it wouldn't surprise me if those true averages are being perhaps a little over-influenced by last year's home road splits and that that might not be a true phenomenon. Um, however, the Mariners are a team that I liked going into last year more than most people do did. And I think I probably like, well, certainly going into the off season, I liked more than I think most people did. There's actually a lot about this team that is similar to the Royals who are considered by some to have sleeper potential and considered by their front office to have sleeper potential. Um, there are a lot of positions on the diamond where you can see um, young players with some breakout potential uh, who uh, were very bad last year and not only could improve this year all at once, all in tandem, but could actually be quite a bit better than they were last year. Um, and most notably, Montero, who was a top five prospect going into last year, 
uh, and Ackley, who was a top 20 prospect before he lost his eligibility, um, and maybe even Smoke, who continues to show glimpses a month at a time that he might have something in that bat, although I'm not a big believer in Smoke. Um, and so, like the Royals, they have that kind of potential for getting good all at once. I, I think, like the Royals, they also had um, a bit too narrow a focus on what they still needed. Uh, the Royals emptied their wallet because they thought they needed to get a ace, an opening day starter, and the Mariners uh, put a lot of e- emphasis on getting a bat, home runs. And I don't think that the trades for Morse and Morales make the uh, club overall better, although they will make the offense better. So uh, an average offense seems slightly optimistic, not terribly optimistic, um, but I don't know that that makes the club better than it was. In fact, I think it probably doesn't. And where do you stand on Ackley in particular as a, a former second overall pick and a top prospect uh, for multiple years running who was just bad last year uh, in his first full season at age 24. Um, How much did his performance last season after what was a pretty encouraging uh, initial performance in his rookie year, how much did that affect your, your feeling about his, his future and his ceiling and what he'll do in the short term and long term? I, you know, I still mostly like his skills. I think there's a lot there. And I think he's a guy who might be um, a sort of late bloomer once he gets a lot of uh, looks at the big leagues. Because right now he he does pretty much everything pretty well. He's, he's one of those guys who's got uh, good game speed, um, some pop, especially for a middle infielder. Uh, he's a patient hitter. He's got, uh, I, I think, a good glove. Um, and he doesn't seem to have a particularly good approach at the plate. And now normally when you hear good approach to plate, you think patience. And I already said he's patient. I think he's got the, uh, a sort of a non-useful patience where he's good at taking pitches. Um, he's not real good at leveraging counts and he's not real good at adjusting to strike zones. And so he, um, seems to me he's a bit too passive. He takes too many strike threes. And so he's a skilled hitter who's not a very good hitter. Uh, It wouldn't surprise me if he took a step forward at any given point. Um, I don't know that he's going to be Chase Utley. In fact, uh, after last year, I think I can confidently say he won't be Chase Utley. Um, But I think that there's definitely a player there who has got a few seasons of four or five win potential somewhere in his peak. Mm -hmm. Uh, So the big... Mariners news as we record this, other other uh, than, of course, the, the signing of Cameron Lowe and the designating for assignment of Mike Karp, is the extension for Felix Hernandez, which is definitely happening now. It has been announced by the team. Uh, I guess we don't know the exact terms because there have been some minor concessions. Buster only reported about the condition of his elbow, but apparently it is still a, a seven-year, $175 million guaranteed deal. And I don't know whether you were in the extend Felix forever camp or the trade Felix camp before this extension or before the the other Felix extension. Um, 
were you in in the camp that thought that it it made sense for kind of if you take the emotion out of it and the loyalty that Mariners fans have to Felix and how much they enjoy watching Felix that it made sense for the team competitively to trade him and either way uh, what do you think of this deal I mean, you can always make the case that it makes sense competitively to trade any player, and particularly one who's got good value. Um, I That doesn't mean you should trade every player. You only do it if the move is right. And we saw with Upton how even listening on a player can cause a lot of problems. So I think from an emotional perspective, it, uh, I, it, it was fine that they were pretty adamant about saying they were not going to trade him. And, um, you know, I think Seattle probably is a better city with Hernandez in it. Um, and, you know, he is a good pitcher. It's not like he's he's not he's not Ichiro in his late 30s um, where he's bringing the team down. So I think is uh, probably if I were the GM, I would have done exactly what they did as far as uh, not treating him as, as any sort of realistic trade chit. The. Deal obviously has a ton of risk. Uh, I mean, it's it's a ton of risk anytime you sign a pitcher for seven years. It's even more of a risk when you do it two years earlier than you technically need to. Um, and yeah, what do you think drove the the timing of this? Why now? Uh, well, the every day closer to free agency, the less he's worried about his own elbow, right? right? So if I mean, you're, I don't think that it's. Um, likely that he would have signed for five years and $125 million in in two years if he got to free agency healthy, mm-hmm. uh, especially if Kershaw sets some sort of new market with whatever deal he gets. Um, so, you know, there's probably some savings there. It says something to the club, but I mean to the fan base. But I also think that right now this move kind of fits perfectly with the Mariners' competitive window. Competitive windows, man, they change like – overnight so it's not like you can say with any degree of certainty what 2016 is going to look like but it felt like a team that is has a has a has a real shot of consolidating some of this talent in 2014 15 16 um and around the same time the angels are going to be getting expensive and old um and don't have a lot to restock their system with as we talked about yesterday and so you sort of want to put yourself in a position where you have, I, I think you have a, a decent shot all three of those years. And with the free agency looming for Felix, you basically were, they were limiting the Felix window to two years. And I don't know that the next two years, particularly this year, give them a good enough shot at that. So you, um, you take on those extra three years or whatever years, the risk of those years, in order to make sure that you have him for the next four. He's only going to be 34 when the contract ends. That doesn't make him a good bet because he is a pitcher um, and because his velocity has been dropping, etc. Um, but um, I mean, you know, it's anytime you spend money on a on on any elite player, you just you know for a fact you're going to be taking on excess risk at the end. And those players are hard to get, even if you're willing to put the risk out there. So um, you sign them when you can. I think. I mean, they've. They've struck out on Fielder and, and Hamilton in the last two years. So it, uh, it's, it sort of shows that even if you have the money to spend on elite players, they're not actually easy to get. The fact that Felix Hernandez is still 26 years old, uh, I think, baffles me every time I find out about it again. 
the fact that you're still 26 baffles me. <laughs> yes, he is. He's a little older than I am. Uh, so I have that on him. Um, project the number of plate appearances uh, that Jason Bay and Raul Banez will make combined this season. Uh, Banez like 220 and Bay zero. <laughs> zero. Yeah, I don't think Bay will make it out of spring training. But he's the he's the heart of the middle of the order. <laughs> Didn't we talk about that quote? <laughs> we did talk about it, yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, also, do you think any of the Mariners' uh, top pitching prospects will make any sort of impact as soon as this season, or is it too soon? Um, I, you know, it's a, I think it sort of depends on on whether the Mariners make any sort of run. Um, I, w- I mean, I would think that of the three of them, of Paxton, Holson, and uh, and Walker, um, I would think that one of them at least will push the issue and be good enough to help the team. Um, I don't know which one it is. My guess is, is probably that Walker won't, uh, unless it becomes like an Orioles of 2012 situation, uh, where they are unexpectedly in first place. Um, my, my guess is that Holson will even though it's hard to guess anything with him right now because of how unexpected his performance has turned. Um, and I, uh, I don't know. All of them have really weird unpredictabilities right now that makes it hard to say. So I'll guess one does, but I don't really want to pick one all that much. Okay. Uh, and team prediction time. Um, I'll say um, that they finish in... Oh, you know, I'd like to say something interesting and say that they'll finish in third over the A's or something like that. But um, I think that they'll probably win 80 games and finish in fourth. All right. Well, Pakota says 79 in fourth. Uh, what a boring prediction. Terrible prediction. How, it has the A's at 83? Yes. I changed my mind. <laughs> 80, 84, third place. <laughs> okay. And we'll... I, do think that they, I do think that they are, they are, they are definitely in a position where things could break right and they could be in the high 80s. Um, but things, I mean, obviously a lot would have to break right, and even that might not be good enough. I, I, I basically generally uh, like the, the direction that the team is headed. And you think that a third-place finish would uh, save the general manager's job for another year? Uh, not, if it's a, not if it's a distant third-place finish, no. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, we're done with Mariners. Uh, we will have a non-one-of-us guest tomorrow to talk about the Astros, I guess. Uh, And coming up next, we have Pete Barrett talking to Jeff Baker of the Seattle Times. It may still be winter, but baseball prospectus is ready to play ball. Pete Barrett is taking you around the league with 30 insiders who cover Major League Baseball. Step into the box. The Squeeze is on. And welcome to The Squeeze. Joining me today to talk about the Mariners is Jeff Baker, who covers the Mariners for the Seattle Times. He provides daily coverage of the team throughout spring training and during the season. Jeff, thanks so much for being with us. Hey, anytime. Pitchers and catches have reported to Peoria. One of them, Felix Hernandez, just got a new contract. Seven years, $175 million. There was a press conference to officially announce the news today. Did you learn anything? Well, we learned that he's got a uh, no-trade clause going forward. Um, that's the you know, first time in Mariners history 
that they've done that. Um, the one thing about it is that, um, you know, he would have been a 10 and five player in a few years in any event, meaning, uh, he, he would have had full no trade rights. Uh, so, you know, this isn't exactly a no trade clause that, that was given him for, for seven years. It's really a no trade that, uh, is, is pretty much his for the next three years. Um, but I mean, you know, that was a significant move, a concession by the Mariners on their part. So that's significant. And then, um, also, the Mariners are saying that the contract is fully guaranteed, so they're stepping out on a bit of a limb here. Um, you, know, you know, given some previous concerns they might have had about his elbow and, and about the durability of a pitcher, I mean, if this is indeed a fully guaranteed contract, they're, they're taking quite a risk here. But uh, he, he's a great player to be taking the risk on. I talked to one of my good friends today who is a Blue, who is a Mariners fan, and he's enthused. The Mariners are obviously trying to get better, moving the fences in, paying Felix for a while. They've went after big guys like Hamilton and Fielder and Upton. But when are they eventually going to find success and bring a big-name guy to the city of Seattle? Is that a realistic proposition? Well, they have to want to bring him to Seattle, first of all. I mean, they have to want to outbid the other teams. I don't know that you could say that they seriously tried to outbid anybody for Josh Hamilton. They offered four years, $100 million. But if you knew the Rangers were already going to offer him three years, you knew the Rangers would probably step up and offer Hamilton a fourth year if push came to shove. Um, you know, so if you're the Mariners, you'd think that if they really wanted Hamilton, they would come in there with a five-year bid, something like that, to really blow the competition out of the water because if push comes to shove, they, the guy's always going to choose the, the team that's been in the playoffs. And that's kind of what the Angels did. They came in right away. They wanted Josh Hamilton on their team, made a five-year offer, blew everybody else out of the water. So, I mean, the Mariners made a significant offer on their part, uh, you know, what they consider a significant offer, but in the end, it wasn't what Hamilton really considered anything that significant. Uh, as far as Upton goes, they, they tried to trade for a player who'd already had them on their no trade list. Um, there were other guys out there they could have they they could have tried to sign at, at who ended up signing for a lot less than people thought they initially would. Guys like Nick Swisher, um, guys like Michael Bourne, and but the Mariners for whatever reason were not able to come away with those those players. So the thing I would ask is, you know, down the road, is there a time when Mariners management is going to get serious about bringing in that kind of a free agent? And by serious, I mean actually go out and win the bidding for somebody. It's okay to say you tried, you tried, you finished second all the time. But eventually you got to try to win the bidding if you're actually going to bring one of these guys in. And so far they've been unable to do that. Maybe with Felix Hernandez here long term, they'll have more of a selling point to make. But in the end, it comes down to money. If you throw enough money at free agents, they're going to come and join your team. So you think up until this point, it's been money as a deterring factor, not getting enough of it rather than the city? Well, it's a little both. I mean, if you're going to get a prime free agent to Seattle, you're going to have to overpay. I mean, this team hasn't won anything in 10 years. Uh, actually, it's been 12 years now. Uh, they haven't won anything playoff-wise. And uh, they've never won a World Series. They, they've been in last place for four out of the last five years. They've lost 100 games in two of those seasons, and, and they've lost 95 in another that's not really much of a selling point. So, you know, they're going to have to start winning more games than they lose to kind of turn around the impression that Seattle is a bit of a baseball wasteland. And if they do that, it might be easier to, to, to attract free agents for the market rate, never mind having to go above and beyond market rate. But uh, for right now, you're going to have to overpay. And so far, the Mariners haven't really blown any free agents out of the water too, too much since, since they, sh they, they went out and signed Sean Figgins to a four-year uh, $36 million deal. They haven't made any significant free agent investment since that time. From conversations I've had today, it seems like Casper Wells is a hot topic around Seattle because they basically traded Doug Fister to get him, and now it looks like he won't even be given any chance at regular playing time. 
Well, he got his chance at regular playing time last year. He got several uh, weeks of it in a row, and he fell flat on his face. I mean, there's no other way to couch it. He, he, his numbers that he was showing in a spurts and you know games here and games there for a week or two, they suddenly crashed through the floor when he was given regular playing time. And Casper Wells isn't some guy out of out of out of double A ball who's who's 23 years old or anything like that. He's getting up there closer to his 30s. Um, so, you know, they had an idea that he was more of a fourth outfielder when last year started. And then when he showed a little bit, they gave him that extra playing time to see whether or not he could prove them wrong, and he didn't. So right now, Casper Wells finds himself in a fight in spring training just to stay on the roster. Uh, you know, between you know everybody knows that the Mariners, I think, have made it no secret. They'd love to keep Casper Wells. They don't want to lose him. But he's in a roster fight right now with Jason Bay. If Jason Bay comes into camp, and lights camp on fire, they're going to have a real decision to make with Casper Wells because he's out of options. Uh, you know, right now, the way things look, Casper Wells still has the inside track. The Mariners aren't going to get rid of a guy who can play all three outfield positions, uh, even as a backup, and, and it's still cost-containable. Uh, you know, if Jason Bay shows up and is mediocre at spring training, then it's no contest. But if Bay makes it interesting and Wells doesn't show enough, then, then yeah, the Mariners might be... Uh, might be ready to uh, to maybe look in another direction. Casper Wells has to come to camp this year and really show something to to kind of earn back his reputation with the Seattle Mariners. We're talking Mariners baseball with Jeff Baker. You can follow him on Twitter at G Baker Mariners. Let's bring in a couple tweets. Uh, the minor league guy tweets at us: Who's responsible for the amateur draft selection the last few seasons? Hashtag horrible. What do you think, Jeff? The amateur draft selections for the Mariners have actually been pretty good. Tom McNamara is in charge of the amateur draft on that side, and he's uh, he's been widely praised for a lot of his drafts. He picked up Taiwan Walker in the supplemental round a couple of years back. He picked up Kyle Seeger in in the second round, and he's a major league uh, regular player right now. And then, frankly, under the Jack Zarensic regime, the best players have been holdovers from Bill Bavese's era. The, two of the best players have been Michael Saunders, uh, their outfielder, and uh, the other one being Felix Hernandez. So, I mean, some of the younger guys that are coming up and making a splash were guys that were drafted uh, by McNamara under Zarensic, and, uh, you know, they're just starting to make their, their impact felt at the major league level. They've also had a lot of top three draft picks over the last few years. I think they've had three of them in the last four seasons, the Mariners have, and, uh, you know, Dustin Ackley took a step backward last year. There's going to be a lot expected out of him. Uh, this season because people want to see, hey, is, is this guy for real or not? Mike Zanino, the catcher they drafted third, third overall last year, uh, is right on the knocking on the major league door right now, and he was only drafted less than a year ago. Um, so that's a guy they're looking at as, as a catcher of the future, full-time catcher of the future going forward. And, um, you know, so the, the Mariners have, uh, have tried to make strides in, in those directions. Danny Holson, of course, was taken two years ago with the uh, – the second overall pick by the Mariners, and he's in AAA right now. They've got some young pitching between him and Taiwan Walker and James Paxton, who was a former first-round pick that the Mariners were able to get in the fourth round uh, after he went back into the draft. I mean, that's a guy who could be a steal for them if he does make it to the major leagues. He's expected to make it to the majors this year. And if he does develop into more than, than a back-end starter, there's people that say he, he projects in the mid to sometimes the high end of the rotation. That's kind of taken a step back the last year or so. But they've got, they've got a lot of potential there. And they've got Brad Miller, a shortstop, who, again, was taken in the, uh, in, in the further back in, in, beyond the first round a couple of years ago. 
and uh, they're very high on him, and they think he could be the uh, he could be the guy that replaces Nick Franklin as the team's shortstop of the future. Franklin uh, was another late round pick by Tom McNamara in the first round and uh, late in the first round in 2009, and he looks like he will be uh, at least a, an average, if not above average, major league second baseman. Uh, a couple seconds ago, you mentioned Dustin Ackley. Uh, Luis Gerardo Venegas wants to know what kind of year you expect from him in 2013. That's going to be a very interesting question to answer because a lot of this team's development plan hinges around Ackley. Uh, you know, he looked lost at times at the plate last year, did not look at all like he did the previous year. His plate discipline went out the window. He was swinging at terrible pitches all season long that were up and out of the strike zone. And that's not his M.O. That's, I mean, I watched him in his very first Arizona Fall League game, his first sort of professional level game that he, he played. This was back in, uh, in 2009. And I can tell you that, uh, you know, right from the get-go there, he had great plate discipline. He, he knew how to recognize pitches, uh, and he just didn't. He looked totally lost last year. Now, he's had bone spurs that were bothering him in his ankle for the entire year. We don't know how much that impacted his play. I can tell you, uh, sitting up with a scout, watching him in one game, the scout turned to me and asked me if he was hurt because he looked like he was dogging it up the line. And he said, if he's not hurt, somebody better get on this guy because he's falling into bad habits early on as a young player. Well, Turns out he was hurt. So we're going to see how much that impacts him this year. He was also thrown into the leadoff spot last year. I don't really think that's a good place for him to be. They were sort of jerking him around the lineup a bit while they were trying to accommodate Ichiro and, and some of Ichiro's struggles last season. So Ackley's going back in the leadoff spot this year. I don't really think that's his comfort zone. I think the team would much rather him be in the number two, maybe the number three spot, but definitely not leadoff. But he's going to be there anyway. So that might well, we'll see how that impacts his play. It's probably not the most comfortable position they could have him batting him, but they have nobody else to bat lead off right now. So, uh, yeah, he's going he's going to have a challenge in front of him, and we're going to find out how much the injury was was impacting his play. Jeff Baker will continue to read your coverage of the Mariners for the Seattle Times. Enjoy spring training, and thanks so much for joining us. Hey, anytime. Thank you.